This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, Prince Wine Store and the Bendigo Art Gallery, presenting Elvis direct from Graceland, created in partnership with Graceland. This Australian exclusive exhibition explores the life and style of Elvis Presley. On now until July 17, tickets from bendigoartgallery.com.au. The election weekend was sublime. Anybody from interstate who ever knocks Melbourne's weather again, wash your mouth out with soap suds. It was also the election of the local candidate. I'm still shocked that Higgins now has a sitting member from the ALP. That is something we never thought we'd see in our lifetime. I'm shocked that the government Liberals lost Kuyong. The electorate was saying, we want you to listen to us. These are our key issues and no one is listening. So that was interesting. I loved seeing Murdoch Media losing its influence. And I loved also, you know, the rise and rise of women. I just think it's a bit much to pass the buck to the Players Association when somebody gets in as deep as Sam Fisher has clearly got. So I think that's a bit rough of Nick Revolt. It's a brilliant page turner. They're great to travel with these books, even though they're bloody enormous. You have to study the family tree. Oh, there's a family tree at the beginning. I do love a family tree. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Welcome, everybody, to episode 219 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. I'm Caroline Wilson. I'm here in the studio with my buddy, Corey Perkin. It is... um, the morning after, the weekend before, what an extraordinary weekend it was, Corrie. On so many levels, we have a new government. There are big changes afoot. Women Power has emerged victorious, among other things. Before we start, though, we need to thank Red Energy, our wonderful sponsor. Thank you, Red Energy, and thank you, Prince Wine Store, bringing you the greatest wines in the world. Remember to visit princewinestore.com.au. Thank you, Sherry Margate, who got in touch via Instagram. She agrees with me that life on the ABC is fabulous. Have you watched it yet, Corrie? What's life again? It's this drama set in Manchester, it's a big old house. Have you talked of, about it? Yeah, I mentioned it. Well, obviously. <laughs> Was I here? <laughs> well, obviously. What day is it? <laughs> obviously, because Sherry yes. has heard me and got but in But just touch. remind me again, City Manchester. There's four different apartments in this block, four different, very different, very different stories and people. It's sort of a modern day number 96. Oh, okay. It is absolute, but it's beautifully acted, incredibly moving and just hits the spot. You are absolutely, um, I'm just compelled to keep watching well, it. Well, so, look, I'm um, putting it as, oh, actually, I did it from last time. It is, I was about to put it in my phone and I did it from last time. Things I must watch. Life on ABC iView. Caro's pod tip. Whoops. Now, yes, Corrie, I was paying attention. Caro, can I just do a shout out to Mother Nature in Melbourne? The last four days, the election weekend was sublime. Anybody from interstate who ever knocks Melbourne's weather again, wash your mouth out with soap suds. This is the most superb five months I can remember in my lifetime in Melbourne. Yeah, look, I was driving into Channel 9 to footy classified the other night and there was this sort of haze, this autumnal haze just dropping over the Yarra and I thought, oh, I wish I wasn't going into work. I wish I was meeting someone in a bar or a coffee shop somewhere or just wandering around the city. The light on the Yarra River and the autumn leaves, it was magical. Ditto Saturday night or Saturday late afternoon walking to the MCG for the Dreamtime game. But we'll talk about Saturday because Saturday was election day, first time in three years. 
The polls, again, didn't quite get it right, but they were a lot more accurate, a lot more accurate than they were three years ago. Um, you and I ran into each other early on Saturday morning. We were voting, or I'd already voted. You were going in to vote. There's just nothing more suburban and wonderfully democratic than the Saturday morning if you decide to vote on a Saturday, which I always do because I think you need to hear the policies uh, one last time. And think. Me too. And we met, we bumped into each other in on the Oval. So I had Will, Lib, Florence in a pram and the dog and we were on our way to vote and we bumped into you and it was the most beautiful morning. No sausage sizzle at our community hall. Caro. No, they, they were they were few and far between. Because I, I then, mm. you know, I was planes, trains, and automobiles. I then jumped on the car ferry and went to Geelong for the pre-game of the Cadinia Park game between Geelong and Port Adelaide. The bay was flat as a tack. It was spectacular. I saw dolphins. You could have got a sausage on the ferry, couldn't you? You could have stood, sat in a dinghy in the middle of Port Phillip Bay There's and caught flathead. There was is a... just something. Jane, did you have a sausage sizzle at your local community hall? Sadly not in Gordon, no. No. I hey, almost went on. to another town, but. No, there was Will, Will and Lib found things. one. Will and Lib found one in the next town and the Lions Club, of course, had set up uh, a sausage sizzle in the car park, so good on them, but... Where are the sausage sizzles? Anyway, apart from that, it was a beautiful day and we were lucky enough to be joined that evening with a couple of friends who came for a sleepover and we've watched the election together, the four of us. We've been watching elections since, I think, 2001 and it was just a really fun night. Quite a few bottles were drunk, I noticed, the next morning when I put them out in the recycle (laughs) bin. Well, as as you know, Corrie, Anna from the op shop and I went to the Dreamtime game. We went to the function. Did the older ladies go with you? No, no. Mothers? No, no, no. no. Oh, well, no. Mum was there with her great friend Jan Richmond on the other side of the ground. We were at the Richmond function, usually chock-a-block with politicians, not a poly to be seen, as you can imagine, at the MCG this time. Gillan McLaughlin came in later. He'd done the long walk with Michael Long. The pre-game was extraordinary. I'll talk about that in a moment. But you were texting me updates, election updates. From your yeah, sofa. I, well, I didn't realise, of course, that you weren't tuned in. You were watching the game. Of course you weren't. You didn't well, have they weren't putting phones. them up on the scoreboard, Corey. <laughs> H and Labor, N. 27. <laughs> Libs, 2. No, um, well, that would have been quite helpful for the crowd. No, I thought you might have your little earpiece in or something. But look, why would you if you are at the G on a beautiful night like Saturday night watching the Dreamtime game? Caro, it was really fascinating. One of the things, and I agree with Barry Cassidy who tweeted... Why was the ABC so shy in calling it? There was just, it, it kind of just emerged from Anthony Green's lips that, oh, well, it looks like, it looks like Labor will, you know, win. They may not have a majority, but it looks like they're the leaders. And I went, well, where's the howdy doody? I gather on the commercial channels there was a bit of balloon busting and different. No, the gimmicks. ABC coverage copped it actually. And, and I know Barry, I get, I'm not on Twitter, but. The next morning I was in at the ABC doing Offsiders. I met Zoe Daniel and her team um, and they were showing me some of the tweets, including the fact that once it emerged that Labor had won, um, even though there might not have been a majority, et cetera, et cetera, Laura Tingle just started getting stuck into Tanya Plibersek about not having not having well, a majority. We thought Tanya, we on the sofa, we thought Tanya seemed very flat and I was a bit concerned because she kept looking at her phone and I thought, gosh, this is Penny Wong 2019 all over again where Penny received her first text message she revealed later at about two minutes past six saying, we are, you know, 
stuffed. <laughs> um, so when I looked, I kept looking at Tanya Plibersek's face as she was reading text going, oh, what, what's happening there? What is going on? This is so interesting. But look, I, I, I thought the ABC team, because they have Anthony Green, who did seem a bit rattled by all the independence. Why were and, they all sitting so far apart? I got was, home and they were, yes. it was a social distancing. It well, was weird. I, I'm not sure, but it was, um, it was Lee Sales' last hurrah in that role as 7.30 presenter and the presenter of the election night. I thought she did a, an absolutely sterling job. Annabelle Crabb asked the hard question of most people, which was great. But I just sensed a, sl- a flatness. Simon Birmingham is very earnest, you know, maybe. Well, of course he was because it was a terrible night for the Libs. But is he the best television talent at something like that? You almost wish for the old Michael Kroger days and well, well, Michael Kroger was on the other channel, wasn't he? I, I, I didn't see I the got, other um, channel. I only heard about the other channel. I left the game, you know, waited to the end of the game for the Tigers' victory. It wasn't much of a game, to be honest, but it was good to see a Tigers win. Anna went off to an election party. I went home and I listened to Scott Morrison's speech on the radio in the traffic on the way home. Got home in time to see Anthony Albanese's speech. So I said to you last week, I just can't see him as Prime Minister. I thought his victory speech was... Fantastic. I mean, I'm not, I think his campaign has not been good. I don't think his campaign will. I thought his final campaign speech last week was a number of sound bites and applause and he just seemed ill at ease. He, he has not impressed me at all. And then he won and he got up on stage, you know, Penny Wong introduced him and he got up with his partner and his son and he made, he, he was a real person. And we saw the real Anthony Albanese. I mean, I remember when Kevin Rudd won, he got up and spoke and I went, oh, no, <laughs> something wrong here. This bloke just is not convincing me. And then the rest of the party discovered it about two years yeah, later. There, there was a there was an insincere note about him. There was nothing insincere about people knocked the fact that he tried to silence his supporters, but they were being a bit loud. I thought it was a fantastic speech. I thought that was his high I mean, obviously he's just won, so clearly, you know, it's going to be it's going to be an impressive performance, but not, it doesn't always happen. He was, was a, he really was emotional. Impressed. He was emotional before he first stood forward to the microphone. His chin was wobbling. He was clearly on the verge of tears, which always endears. You know, that's always endearing, isn't it? In a in a leader who is deeply moved. Awkward body language, I thought, with his partner and his son, but that's oh, okay. Oh, did you? No, yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was quite about real, it. and I love the fact that his former partner, the mother of his son, was there too. Exactly. No, They're obviously look, a very send, happy Yep, sending, sending good messages about um, putting the fun back in dysfunctional. Look, I thought his speech was very thoughtful. It was humble. I loved the fact that he started with the, the, our First Nations community. He started at the beginning, which actually reminds us that we go back 60,000 years here, and he reminded us how important the Uluru Statement from the Heart is and that there will be Indigenous recognition in the Constitution in his time or that's that his was goal. The fir- that was the first thing. Yeah, and I thought Penny that was Wong really... Said, yeah. And he said, and yeah. having come from a game where the Richmond footballers stood as one around their Indigenous teammates. Yes, I saw that. That was um, fantastic. Something that was five years in the making. And then you know, at, yesterday's media, at yesterday's media conference, well, we, we're, we're recording this on Tuesday, so at Monday's media conference before they flew off, Penny Wong and uh, the Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, with Richard Miles and I th- and Katie, well, anyway, the whole team was there, the, the five who have been sworn in, 
And behind them was, for the first time, the Indigenous flag and the Australian flag next to one another. So I thought that was a real statement. And I, I, I believed him. You know, he said we will govern for all Australians, not just those who voted for us. Now, that's an, uh, uh, in recent years, that's become a popular line with politicians around the world. But I really did feel that. Anthony Albanese has spoken about divisions in our community and wanting to resolve that. So I, I felt he was pretty sincere. I thought Scott Morrison was relatively gracious in defeat. He did save his emotion. There was very little emotion from him on the night, but he was his emotion he'd saved for church the next morning and um, he was quite, uh, quite emotional addressing his congregation. So it, it's always affirming to see that somebody has been deeply moved by the office they've held and the loss of that office. So I but think why that did he really... acknowledge the defence forces and welcome them and not the frontline workers? Uh, uh, you know, well, one question I would ask. I was listening Cara, to it driving home thinking, why don't you mention nurses? In, in and... six weeks, in six weeks, Scott Morrison on the campaign trail, he has done very few appearances in aged care or hospitals. And when he has, he's only been filmed talking to old people. No congratulations, because I think the team's been fearful that there'll be some sort of on-camera backlash. But no thanking the nurses, doctors, all the frontline workers during the pandemic. In fact, very little pandemic talk on behalf of both parties, which was a bit disappointing. But look, there are so many things to sort of unpack here. Um, But I just wanted to make a couple of points about why I sort of feel, well, what does this election result tell us about Australia in 2022? The first thing is, as Catherine Murphy in The Guardian said, it's a style of politics that has been rejected in this election. That whole stoking fear, dividing people, um, where are all the small L liberal thinking and all of that refreshing. What about, what about the boat emerging from nowhere on election day? They're going to look into that, aren't they? I think they are. That I, was I, just it's 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 beyond irresponsible. But it but it started. If you think about it, Carol, it started with Tony Abbott back in two thousand and thirteen. This whole kind of divide and rule in politics. And as you and I know, because we've lived long enough, divide and rule eventually brings you down. <clears throat> you know, it doesn't work in the playground when you're a kid. It doesn't work in marriage breakups. It doesn't work in the corporate boardroom. It doesn't work in federal politics. At some point, people have an innate sense of they want harmony. They want peace. They want everybody to get along and uh, and they want calm waters. And so I think that Australia voted as a rejection, as Catherine Murphy said, of that style. And the other thing is that the election was saying, the electorate was saying, we want you to listen to us. These are our key issues and no one is listening. So that was interesting. I loved seeing Murdoch Media losing its influence particularly Sky TV. Um, well, the Herald, the Herald Sun, it really seems to have become an outlier in, in what they were pushing. I, I think, and I loved also, just I just wanted to say, you know, the rise and rise of women. Uh, I mean, that's the big sort of thing for me. And um, as one Liberal strategist said in the morning after, um, it does appear that w- the women of Australia stopped listening to Scott Morrison about a year ago, which is the Brittany Higgins moment when she came forward of allegations of well, rape. They've, they've, failed to, they've failed to make any inroads into their treatment of women. And we know that you know the ALP ha- doesn't always have a perfect history here either. But this was the election where I think, you know, last time I think, Labor lost because people voted with their hip pocket and they didn't trust Bill Shorten. Okay, and I know Labor got less votes this time than they did last time, but what happened this time was women, integrity and climate change became first and, order... And to a lesser extent, childcare and aged care. Yeah, they became yeah, first issues. order priorities. Yeah. for And the fear campaign, I mean, 
bringing in these red herring issues like, you know, transgender athletes, you know, it was just turning that into a political issue. Just It just rebounded on the government so badly. And, and I think, you know, as Barry Cassidy, I think, said on our podcast a few weeks ago, he welcomed a hung parliament or certainly a parliament where the independents have a bigger say because he doesn't trust the, gov- the new government, Labor, on climate change. And it's going to be really interesting to see what happens there. You talk to older people. We had a conversation um, after Footy Classified the other night and, um, you know, various viewpoints were put forward. One, that people don't really understand climate change. Young people think they understand it, but nobody knows how to fix it. And I, I made the point that young people completely understand it. They understand it more than we do. They feel it every day of their lives. They lose sleep at night worrying about their futures. That people, anyone over the age of 50, I'm sorry, they just, I don't believe they really understand. I disagree with you there. I think a lot of older people in the last year or two with with the, just the sequence of bushfires, flood, and yes. then going back a few well, years, the Greens drought. won in Queensland. I mean, well, it's is it, well, of. well, you know, you mentioned Barry Cassidy at our event. I remember Heather Hewitt saying so clearly that when she she goes, you know, films her backroads program, and she's she's in rural Australia, Queensland, Northern Territory, New South Wales, wherever she is, farmers are talking climate change. Now, yep. clearly they're talking climate change because the vote changed to green. So and it's most interesting. But good local candidates, good local National Party candidates still won their seats. So many, it, it, was, it was also the election of the local candidate. And um, as someone pointed out the other day, once local candidates win over their electorate, it's very hard to dislodge them. I mean, I, I, I'm still shocked that Higgins now has a Labor, can, uh, now has a, a sitting member from the ALP. That, that is something we never thought we'd see in our lifetime. I'm shocked that the, the government Liberals lost Kuyong. Absolutely shocked. Well, I, I wonder what Josh Frydenberg's going to do. I mean, there was talk of state politics business. I reckon he'll eye off another seat. I mean, oh, I, think I wouldn't surprise me. I wouldn't surprise me at all, Cara. And, you know, he's, he, is, uh, he is a talented performer and a lot of people have a great deal of respect for him. I've never met him, so I can't really say other than how he's performed as treasurer and as a oh, member. He's a, he's a nice he's, bloke, you know, but he's seen by his electorate to have favoured... Sydney over Melbourne yeah, during well, the that's, pandemic. That was his, and you and I talked about that on the podcast at the time last year. Bad move, Josh. Carol, I know you weren't watching it, but I just wanted to say that um, if you were to ask me at what point did I feel that change was in the air, it certainly wasn't looking at Tanya Plibersit's face. You know, she kept an absolute straight face. But um, at one point, and, and I can't remember, maybe it was like the one hour, 15 minute mark of the 6pm telecast, can't recall, but Anthony Green was discussing the vote at Chisholm, which is the former seat of Julia Banks, who's been on the podcast, and he said those very early figures revealing, are revealing a swing. Now, Chisholm, as we know, if you get Chisholm, you, you, win, you win government. And La- Labor's candidate for Chisholm, Karina Garland, was, I gather, a terrific local performer. So you're talking about the local candidate. I feel that it was about her more than about the Labor Party. And if people don't know where Chisholm is, it's that area in Melbourne's east of Box Hill, Glen Waverley, Doncaster, that kind of, maybe not Doncaster, but um, Mount Waverley, Blackburn. And um, and that was the point where I thought, wow, this is really interesting. And then at that point, Anthony Green had, was completely flummoxed for most of the night. He did a great job, but gosh, <laughs> it must have been confusing. Well, there was some, um, again, if you try and parachute in 
a high-profile candidate like Labor did with Christina Keneally. That backfired on them too. So there is some real uh, – the local candidate thing is really interesting and maybe that speaks to what everyone's been through with the pandemic and people becoming more involved at their own communities, becoming their lives. I don't know. I, I think I, you're right. It was a localised element to it It was. I, I absolutely agree with you. And and people kind of turning away perhaps from traditional media and thinking more locally about, oh, well, my local member is Josh Josh Frydenberg or I might follow Monique Ryan on Instagram or Twitter or so suddenly they were. So just on the matter of media, how did you think the media performed on the whole during this six weeks? Oh, I don't think they I think that I think once they got Anthony Albanese, sort of day one, when he made that dreadful gaffe, when he didn't know what was it, the unemployment rate, mm, um, unemployment figure. Um, I think that it did become an attempt to, you know, getcha, gotcha. Yeah, the rise and rise of the gotcha press and, conference. And I, I thought, Tedious. I thought Mark McGowan's spray, the West Australian Premier's spray of the media on the Monday after the election, that really resonated with me. You know, he, he accused them of bullying, of not listening, of interrupting, of shouting <coughs> over. Now, politicians deserve all they get to a degree because they don't answer questions. The only time they really answer questions is on election night. And even the next day, Richard Miles was being a bit evasive, I thought, on the inside as a, about a couple of issues. But so they, they need to learn to answer questions. That's one thing. But it, it was not comfortable. It was not good entertainment. It was, there, there was no real, it, it, it never really hit the spot anyway, what the journos were trying to do. So no, I don't think they had a great campaign. And I, you know, from everything I've read, the ABC coverage, which had, which had all those big names on it on the night, didn't do a great job of covering one of the biggest stories no, it, it, stories it, was, it, wasn't their, it wasn't their finest hour. Perhaps they were just all tired. I'm not really oh, sure. Oh, Corrie, what, come on. But, <laughs> but I'm, I have to say, I mean, being an official friend of the ABC, I have to say in defence of the ABC that uh, the compulsory viewing, nightly viewing, of course, was 7.30 with Lee Sales, who, was, who will leave the chair in the next couple of weeks, and Laura Tingle was just absolutely, he had to, he had to watch the insiders on Sunday morning and the drum, which always has such a terrific, uh, diversity of voices, I think during the election, really, election campaign, really, really shone a, a, as a, as a, um, I guess, a touchstone of what the electorate was thinking. But they can be too in, Corrie. And, you know, there was, it takes me back to the Julia Gillard moment when she said, I won't be lectured on miso- misogyny by this man. And re- remember how it became the biggest international story. It was part of that incredible documentary about the appalling treatment of Julia Gillard from the media and 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 her own and the rival parties. But um, the press gallery missed the moment. They didn't see it as the story because they were too up their own whatevers to understand. They were too busy looking at the agenda of the day or whatever the story was to see that this was, mm-hmm. this was not, okay, a local. It was a big international story. And it sounds to me like that's what the ABC missed on Saturday night. The other great media performer, I believe, is the increasing influence of Guardian Australia, which, of course, is a is a hybrid. Well, it's not a hybrid. It's a completely separate company now, but it is part of the Guardian UK family. Its editor and Lenore Taylor and its political journalists, uh, led by Catherine Murphy, including Amy Ramekis, who was on um, my election webinar uh, we hosted a couple of a few weeks ago. But they were absolutely, um, their, po- their election podcast, which they put on just for the six weeks, it was compulsory listening. And just the, 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 the 
brilliant pieces of by people like Paul Daly and David Marr. I mean, David Marr's Monday piece, post-election piece, is just everybody should read it. Malcolm Farr, Jeff Sparrow. I just say hats off to The Guardian. I think this was your election. This is when you really, really in Australia came of age. Not that you weren't um, old, but, you know, and had the gravitas, but it was a really terrific election. Well, on that note, Corrie, I think we should head off to you know where. It's time for the cocktail cabinet. So Miles Thompson joins us with some intriguing little bottles today. Miles, welcome. Thanks for having me. It's not, it's, it's not just the bottles I'm loving, it's what's in the bottles, mm. Miles. So these are for us to taste. They are indeed. So this is. Jane, um, Jane's already into it, can I say? Oh, I'm about to very much. Uh, I think they're very good for my okay. cold. Well, what here's, is it, Miles? Here's cheers while Miles cheers. tells us what cheers. it is. Salute, cheers. everyone. Uh, so it's, um, <laughs> it's called ap- Applewood um, uh, Coffee Mocha. So it's. It's uh, they're Australian from from Adelaide Hills. Unico Zello is the winery, but they have their little sub brand, whatever you want to call it. Unico Zello. Unico Zello. Oh, Unico mm. Zello. How do you, Z-E, so Unico like Z- is in one. Unico, Italian, yeah, yep, and, and then Zello, Zello. Yeah. So really cool little wine brand. A huge swig. Is it alcoholic? It is definitely. Of course it is. Good to know at nine o'clock in the morning. You've become you've become so used to the taste of alcohol, you can't tell what it is. It has so it's a coffee. So coffee. Coffee, um, cocoa nibs, coconut. Um, and you it's not can super, taste the super sweet. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's so good. We, when we had it the other day, it was just I was like, oh, this is absolutely delicious. It's their answer to Kahlua, but you know, it's got a bit more of a coffee mocha thing, so it's not quite Kahlua. But um, anyway, I thought it was awesome. All Australian. Is it a, um, a an aperitif? Um, a so, digestive. So, so they say use it like you would Kahlua. Okay. So, so they have some cocktail recipes, you know, um, using it that way. Like um, espresso martinis, it would be absolutely awesome in. But, you know, you could just drink it on ice if you want after dinner. So it's, Miles, it's sweet, but it's to, not super, to, super sweet. Miles, no. there's a, there's a, I think because it's not super, super sweet, there's a really terrific – it is the easiest recipe in the world, Potties. Um, it's a mm, Jamie Oliver so espresso – and pe- toasted pecan. So you, what you do basically is you put a scoop or two of vanilla ice cream mm. in a, a glass. You toast or roast the pecan nuts, chop them up a bit. So that's for the topping. And you pour over it coffee. But I reckon you could put that liqueur Instead. in that. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Because for it's sure. not sweet enough. Like you, you, you couldn't have two sweets, you know. You couldn't have the sweet ice cream and the sweet. I think that would actually be a really Terrific. 100%. That would be with a nice bit of oh, the toasted pecan. Toasted pecan and maybe a nice little wafer. A or nice something. coffee wafer. Yes, I was just right. thinking something for Mediterranean wholesalers. Wholesalers. That is beautiful. That yeah. is really, really good. I, I think espresso so martinis would be wasted on this lovely <laughs> drink. I think have it on That's its delicious. own. delicious. They have a recipe for, I can't remember what it's called, but it's 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 just like a shaken sort of Kahlua and rum, uh, sorry, uh, ochre, mocha and rum sort of thing, which sounded very good. It's on their website if you go have a look, Applewood, um, and look up the Ocar Mocha, Coffee Mocha, and they'll give you a little recipe. Mm. Definitely rum, definitely a winter mm, drink. That's what run. I thought. I tried it and was like, oh, well, that's perfect for the cold weather. Oh, so, I tell you what, I, I could almost do another glass, although I'd be Well, a there's bit some of a, spares here. I'm off, to the, I'm off to the 92nd birthday of my friend Val, and I don't want to arrive a bit blotto, but I wouldn't well, mind a second glass. You can just Is there sip any on more? It. Yeah, there's more. <laughs> so, Miles, um, yeah, or you just pour it into your coffee, pour it into your... 
into your long, you know, strong well, latte. Thinking, that's what I said when we tried it. I was just like, I'm just going to go make a coffee. And yeah. I'm also in. thinking those really cold days when you play golf and your little hip flask little of whiskey. Flask. Well, this would actually yeah. be much nicer because it's the coffee thing as well. And a little bit of sugar to, to mm. keep you going while you're... I might get that. Rolling I might around. Get that, do, you, uh, do you play golf in winter much? Yeah, I love it in winter. I was Although just thinking, it's, I it's harder to play because the air's heavier and yeah. the greens are wet and everything, but I much prefer well, anything the that keeps weather. my ball straighter probably. Yeah. <laughs> Helps, I think. Yeah. So, Miles, does Applewood, uh, what sort of wine are we getting from Applewood? So, so Unico Zello is the, the, so they do, they're actually really awesome. They're very, very sort of sustainably conscious producer. Um, they have a range, a, a sort of, a more entry level range. Um, I forget the name of it, but they actually source fruit from lots of different different growers, but pay them extra, pay them more than sort of market value for the grapes because they want to sort of continue to support grape growers who are growing good quality grapes. So they have that range, and then they have their range, which is based on a lot of Italian varietals. You know, talking about Unicozella, so they, they have an Italian sort of varietal focus, and they do a set of Fianos. They've got about four or five different Fianos that they do. Um, and, and so based in the Adelaide Hills? Based in the Adelaide Hills, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Which is um, just such a beautiful yeah. part of Australia and somewhere I intend to visit before the year yeah, is we out. Are, we are Absolutely. definitely doing that road trip, Carol. Well, well there, are, there are a whole well, lot of people so on the way there. Oh, they, they've got yeah, a distillery. Applewood gins, the Applewood gins, like yeah, Australian botanical we, gins we are have very to, good. We have to do a bit of a wine tour on our way to the Barossa. Absolutely have to do that. Yeah, if you go there, let me know. I'll try to – we work with them a little bit here and there, so – I'd love and to. We like their products a lot. So, do Prince Wine Store stock their gins on occasion? Yeah, we've got a couple of their gins at the moment. Uh, we've got a couple of the they do a they do a ochre like bitter as well. So it's kind of like um, an amaro sort of bitter. Oh yeah, that. So oh, they do that as well. It's very good. That'd be right up Ex- my alley. Excellent, awesome products. And what is really the cost good. of our Unicozello? This is the Oka Mocha, and it's $48. Presumably for, for a bottle, bottle bigger than that one. Correct. <laughs> Much bigger than the little 30 mil. Well, that yeah, is an very good. absolute cracker of mm. a recommendation. Thanks, Miles. No problem. You really you. put a string in, spring in my step and cleared my yeah. throat as well. It, it, exactly. is, it is a really beautiful drop, and I am not a liqueur fan, but mm. this, is, this is gorgeous. Don't yeah, you think, think Jane? Oh, sorry, job. Jane's asleep on the floor now, so she's had <laughs> too many glasses, but it's great. Thank you. Miles, we'll see you next week. No problem. Thank you again to Miles. Thank you again to Prince Wine Store. Remember, just visit princewinestore.com.au and the promo code is M-E-S-S, that's short for messenger, to get your listener discount, the cocktail cabinet. We move, Corrie, to BSF. I am actually going to tell you about a book and um, don't roll your eyes. It's a bit of a um, page turner. It's one of our old favourites. Why am I rolling my eyes? Well, because it's Marion Keys. Oh, it's okay. her new book. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, you buried the lead. Oh no! Look, I I have to say to you, Caro, that that my eldest daughter Francesca is a Marion Keys fan, and she has told me again and again, I would love these stories because they're family oh, sagas. Haven't you read her? No, no, not one. No, because you know my theory. When I had the bookshop, if things came in and they sold well, you you didn't really. Have, it was the orphans you had to look after because your reading time is so rare and precious. But she's been around a lot longer than even the bookshop. Well, no, I didn't. I didn't know her really until the bookshop. So Irish writer of note, and yes, I will be um, indulging. So don't think I'm sniffing my nose at poor no, old look, Marian. She's a, she's a a great storyteller. My first Marian Keys was um, Sushi for Beginners. Um, but the the ones that have really resonated um, 
with people are her stories about the Walsh family. The Walsh family is made up of um, five sisters, all with their various problems and idiosyncrasies, and their parents, Mammy Walsh, whose name is Mary, and Daddy Walsh, whose name is Jack. What an extraordinary, bizarre couple they are. Um, this one is back to Rachel. Now, Rachel, um, in the, um, the first story about her, um, she, she's an alcoholic, and she realises she's an alcoholic, and it's her personal story. Again, Rachel is the name of the one I'm about to review. And um, we're back in Rachel. Um, we're back with Rachel. He's back in Ireland, moved home from New York. Um, she's working as a rehabilitation counsellor, a senior counsellor. Her job is absolutely rocketing. She's got a gorgeous new boyfriend. She's become a gardener. But her past comes back to haunt her in the face of her ex-husband, who um, they had a terrible breakup. A tragedy happened to them. And the thing about... How old's Rachel? Oh, she's in her 40s now. Mm-hmm. Um, what the thing about these books is um, they, um, they're, they're bloody funny. Like the, the conversation between the sisters, they're obsessed by, you know, blow, blow waves and spray tans and spending money on ridiculous things and food and they, they make fun of each other. They, they, put, oh, they absolutely dump on absolutely every local trend and they're usually set in Dublin, although some, are set, some have been set in LA and New York. Um, but they're also very, very serious. And the theme of this book is, is about rehab and addiction as well. It's a brilliant page turner. It, you, I mean, I, I, it, they're, they're great to travel with these books, even though they're bloody enormous. You have to study the family tree. Oh, there's a family tree at the beginning. Oh, you I, need, do, I do love a family tree. You, you need the family tree. So different characters. Having just, written, just, having just read the Russians, after, uh, the Russians in Paris after the revolution, Oh my goodness! It's a Russian name, isn't it? It's just. It... <laughs> well, you probably even need more. You probably need more of um... about sixty characters, all real characters, but no kind of chronological, no explanation. Just everything ended in ICH. Sorry, I digress. No, well, they don't in this one, but they're all a bunch of um, crazy Irish people, and as I said, the Walsh family is just a fascinating family. Very easy read. The ones I would recommend if you haven't, I mentioned Sushi for Beginners. Um, the the woman who stole my life is a good one. Lucy Sullivan is getting married is another early one that I absolutely loved. Rachel's Holiday was the first one about Rachel. The the mystery of Mercy Close, which is about one of the sisters who suffers from depression, but he he he's a private detective, is absolutely brilliant as well. Corey. You're gonna love. You're gonna love this woman. Okay, no, I, I will definitely give her a go on yours and Checker's recommendation. And I just want to put in a little plug or an ad, if you like, for a couple of things that I'm involved with, Cara, that I'm hoping Potties might jump on board. Firstly, we are recruiting for our Zoom book clubs in uh, semester two. So if you are interested in joining a book club in Ju- July, there. They zoom, we Zoom our book clubs. We have members in country Victoria, in Sydney, um, as far away as Queensland, and, and it's just every six weeks or so. So um, join the Instagram account, which is at Corrie is Reading, and that's my second thing, plug for me. At Corrie is Reading is the Instagram account, and often I feature the books that Caro has, has reviewed and talk about them in greater detail or other books that I've read. So they're two plugs for me. Now, Caro, um, I'm doing a screen, and I'd love you to feed in on this because I know you've seen series one. I don't know whether you've caught up with series two yet of Hacks. 
I haven't, but I'm dying to hear about it. Love this show. Okay. Love it. So I've, we've talked about this series before, Potties. Uh, last year, of course, Hacks swept onto the screen and the, the worldwide stage here in Australia via Stan. It's an HBO production and um, it's a comedy, a comedy drama. I'm not such a huge fan of the comedy genre in series, but really for me this one works because of the depth of the characters, the two acting performances by the two key characters and, and actresses, and and just the kind of the whole setup set in, LA, uh, set in Las Vegas, um, incorporating the beauty of the, the desert, which particularly in the first episode of series two really comes to the fore. So this is the story of... Um, a Las Vegas legend stand-up comedian, Deborah Vance. Think your Phyllis Diller or your Carol Burnett. She's a, she's smart rather than Goldie Horn, ha-ha. And um, she's coming toward the end of her career, but like Wayne Newton in, uh, in Las Vegas, she can still command a performance and she's been doing the same show at the same big hotel for years and years. She realises that she has to, through a series of events and things that occur in her career, she realises she has to freshen up the act. And she hires a down-and-out young Hannah Einbinder, who's a young screen, a young um, gagster and writer in her early 20s, who's desperate for a job. Again, the backstory there is rather hilarious how, why she's on the down-and-out. And it's an accidental <laughs> appointment, really, isn't it? It's a totally accidental appointment. But so that's, sh- that's the first series. That's so what's the first happened series. in the second well, the se- series? Well, the, the, I don't want to give too much away, but... Um, but at the end of the first series, the, the sort of the gentle cliffhanger, if you like, because it's not a murder mystery or anything, is that um, one night when she's absolutely smashed and full of wrath uh, toward um, Deborah Vance, her boss, Ava, who's the screenwriter, sends out an email telling all, saying what a cow her boss is, different anecdotes, calling her everything under the sun, and sends the email to somebody in series two, she realises, may go public with it. And it's, it is a case of waking up the next morning after getting smashed and doing something that you regret. Yes. <laughs> Full of regrets. So series, Never put it in writing. Series two, there have only been, as I speak, a couple of episodes released, but we're going through the whole, is that email going to be made public? The various machinations of how, particularly the wonderful um, agent that they both share, um, whose name just, oh, Jimmy, the, the agent, um, how he's trying to sort of... Um, you know, keep Deborah quiet and working with Ava trying to save this email. Is the email going to go public and will Deborah find out? And when Deborah finds out, if she finds out, what is the wrath of Deborah? To what extent will she go to bury Ava? And not only does Ava need the job, but in series one, she's moved from complete disdain for this old hag to begrudging respect to almost an endearing friendship, a mother-daughter thing, which in itself is very interesting because both of them have had um, respect, respectively issues with daughter and mother. So there's this lovely kind of, are they going to be friends? Well, that tension continues. But it is hilarious. It's smart. It's beautifully filmed. I have to say the two actors in these roles. Now, not many people will remember Jean Smart. She was on Frasier back in the day, but you might recall her a couple of years ago as the mother of Kate Winslet in Mayor of Easttown. Yep. That wonderful drama. And then Hannah Einbinder, who plays Ava, the young writer, is just a talent on the rise She reminds rise. me of my daughter, Rose. She really yeah, she does look me. like Rose. <laughs> she she really she's does. also got Rose's deadpan delivery too. Yeah, no, she's, she's a very good actor. 
She's really they're wonderful. Both, they're both brilliant. So I just really recommend, Cara, have a look at Hacks Series 2 on Stan. Now, we're off to the kitchen with you today. We are. Now, this is, um, as you can tell, I've still got this shocking cold and I'm trying to find things that are restorative. So I grabbed the front cover. Did you like cover. this nice soup that I dropped off with I you? I did, Corrie, and it's all been eaten. And, um, or drunk. What do you do with soup? No, you eat it. And Katie made me some soup and Trude's made me some soup. But on Sunday, I grabbed the front cover of Gourmet Traveller and I thought this looks absolutely beautiful. Have you cooked it? I did. That's why I'm going to tell oh, okay. you about well, it. Well, no, because last week I hadn't cooked it. No, you, I made I yes. made your recipe. Yes. So how were the tacos by Donna Hay? Oh, yeah, the mushroom tacos with yes. Miss Jane's oh, pine Jane. mushrooms. Oh, Jane. Oh, Jane. I... I Jane, I meant to send you a photo of your <laughs> mushrooms being cooked up last week. No. I'm so glad. Oh, thank you, Jane. They were delicious. I had them on a beautiful sauce on the eye fillet. Well, I, I did the mushroom tacos exactly as your recipe said, Corrie, which is on the show notes. Exactly. Clem came round for dinner and the two of us ate them and they were delicious. Good to know. Thoroughly. And I, I actually threw in a few... Um, uh, Swiss browns as well. So a bit of a mixture of mushrooms. Absolutely beautiful. Oh, but you brilliant. bake them, as the recipe says, and they go crispy and with all the other stuff, yum. But this soup is called Kao Soy. Um, think like a laxa, I suppose. It does have coconut milk and lots of chicken stock. And the contrast, the, the magic of the dish, according to Gourmet Traveller, is that it's got egg noodles, but it's also got crispy noodles on the top. Oh, so on the, you basically make two this no, two noodle laksa. Well, it it it's not really a laksa. And the recipe is the the biggest part of the recipe is that you make this paste. They say in a mortar and pestle, but so many ingredients went into my mortar and pestle that in the end I had to throw them into the KitchenAid. But there's all manner of things. There's um, dry roasted coriander seeds, uh, cardamom pod, um, five red shallots, garlic cloves drained. That they say dried chilies. Um, soaked and drained. I just use fresh chilies, chilies soaked and drained. Um, turmeric, ginger, lemongrass, curry powder. You pound all that to a paste, add a bit of the soaking liquid from the chilli, and that makes the basis of the soup, which you fry, fry up until it goes dark. Then you add coconut milk, macaret, lime leaves, and Gourmet Traveller is using that term now, Corrie, not kaffir lime leaves, which, as you know, I have growing at home. You simmer all of that for an hour. Then you add fish sauce, dark soy sauce, caster sugar, stir to keep warm. Now, this recipe has um, roasted duck breast sliced on top. Oh, see, but, I'm, not a mad of, mad, I'm not a fan of duck, as you know. Well, I love it, but this was Sunday. Couldn't, didn't want to go out and get duck. So I made my chicken stock by boiling a whole chicken, and I just used shredded poached chicken on top instead. And then you put all that into a bowl with the noodles, crispy noodles on top and the chicken, and you add on top, you know, coriander, sliced red shallots, some sliced red chilli, um, cucumber, shredded lettuce, bean, sprout, bean sprouts, all manner of things. The recipe is on our show notes. Corrie, we, Brendan and I sat at the kitchen table on Sunday night, and it was, it was one of the more beautiful meals. You can make extra paste, put it in the freezer. Highly recommend it. Check out your gourmet traveller from this month. But the name of the soup is Kao Soy. That's K-H-A-O, new word S-O-I. Oh, it's that was a, absolutely not how I had spelt it in my head. I think it's Malaysian or something. It was beautiful. Anyway, that was BSF for Red Energy, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Isn't it time you called Red Energy on 131806? Caro, 
you have the grumps about something. Look, I do, and it pains me to say I'm grumpy about Nick Revolt because I'm a massive fan. But the former St Kilda captain went on TV on Monday night and talked about on his former... On Fox footy. Talked about his former teammate, yep, Sam Fisher, who is facing some very, very serious drug charges, and basically said... He talked about the responsibility of teammates and leaders in the team to um, helping Sam Fisher when he was playing at St Kilda. But he basically called on the Players Association to do more for players as they are leaving the game. I'm sorry, you know, just because former nurses might do something, you know, really, really reprehensible and they end up being charged, is it up to the nurses' union to have looked after a nurse who was having trouble with with maybe a drug addiction or a drug problem or social behaviour? St Kilda knew about Sam Fisher's issues long before this story came out. St Kilda knew that he was mixing with some people he shouldn't have been mixing with. I actually wrote a story saying that he needed to be dropped from the leadership group and almost in defiance of that sort of conversation around Sam Fisher, the administration and football um, administration, I guess, at the time made him a developing leader instead of, I mean, they just didn't want a journo to be right. This was just wrong. They, everyone knew what Sam Fisher was doing. Everyone was worried about him. I just think it's a bit much to pass the buck to the Players Association when somebody gets in as deep as Sam Fisher has clearly got. So I think that's a bit rough of Nick Revolt. He was captain at the time. He says he puts the the team and the club should have stood by him. He says he puts his head on the pillow and knows he did everything he could. I just wonder whether, okay, Nick, you did everything you could, but don't point the finger at other people. Anyway, Corrie, that's what I'm grumpy about. And now it's time for six quick questions for Red Energy. Okay, Caro, what's this week's biggest about face? Craig McLaughlin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, not to laugh. No, well, it's it's, it's a serious. No, it's no laughing matter. It's no. Well, what was he thinking? Proceeding well, with it. What was he thinking? He decided Is to take ego getting in the way. Well, he decided to challenge a number of media organisations, including Nine Media. Um, regarding allegations about his behaviour that is pretty much, I mean, his career's pretty much been ruined, hasn't it, I guess? And early on in the proceedings, and some dreadful stuff was starting to come out about his co-stars and a couple of the people who'd blown the whistle on him. And then last Friday, he just announced he was scrapping the whole thing. A big about face. Corrie, over the past six weeks, who was notably absent from all the ALP campaigning? Daniel Andrews. Oh, do you think? Yeah, yeah totally. Caro. He did a big announcement with Anthony Albanese two weeks ago. But yes. well, but he was – so Anthony Albanese uh, launched with Peter um, Malinaskis, the new South Australian Premier uh, in the crowd, Mark McGowan in Perth, who introduced him. He's appeared regularly in both those states with those premiers. Yeah, Mark McGowan was um, big. Anastasia Palaszczuk, of course, she, she popped in and out each time he went to Queensland. He, where was Daniel Andrews walking beside the wannabe new Labor leader time and time again? Not only was this just perplexing, but I, but look at what look at the result in Victoria. So obviously the Labor Party strategists were 
reticent for Albanese and any of their leaders actually to appear with what they perceived as an unpopular leader of an you unpopular government. You do recall government. the big transport announcement two weeks ago. I do recall the big was, transport announcement. Yeah, but, where where but, Daniel Andrews and Anthony Albanese yeah, no, were walking no, no, around. No, and, absolutely I remember that. But when, that, when I saw that on the telly that night, I thought, gosh, Daniel Andrews, where have you been? I mean, he is... Yep. He is He's the longest standing Labor leader, uh, Premier. He is, uh, I mean, and look at the results. <laughs> look at the results in Victoria. So I just thought it was a really bad miscalculation on behalf of the, or well, maybe it was the right thing to do at the right time. I don't know. But it was just so interesting that their reticence and reluctance to have Albo beside Daniel Andrews. And where was he for the whole campaign? Caro, winter is upon us, although not looking out the window at the beautiful blue sky. What is your number one? Uh, what is the number one thing on your winter to-do list? Well, it was upon us at 7.30 this morning when I was buying your coffee, Corrie. It was absolutely freezing at our local coffee shop. Um, I'd like to say chopping firewood or walking up and down my street like Miss Jane and scavenging, you know, kindling and tying it up in bundles. Yes, I can always tell when you're in town because you, all the pine cones under yes. the usual trees are gone. <laughs> I now Caro, know Caro's why. In residence. Pine cones are the bomb for your fire, oh, Totally. You don't, need fi- you don't need I fire mean, lighters. Seriously. You don't need unhealthy, unnatural fire lighters. Could have told you that 50 years ago. Thank you. No, you're right, Miss Jane. No, Corrie, it's get sorting through your woolens. It, I've been through um, several winters in a row now, as you know, because of um, my life circumstances and spending time in Europe. I, my jumper drawer is just overflowing. There is a time you have to be brutal. Get rid of your jumpers, cull them, take them down to Anna from the op shop or some other op shop, even if they're still in reasonably good nick. There is, and, and the ones you really like... Spend money on shaving all the balls off them, or take them to a good dry cleaner if they're really, really. Can expensive. you tell me on shaving the doing your pillaring? Um, do do dry cleaners do that for you? Is that a service they offer? They do. It's called a deluxe, a deluxe service, and I did it with one particularly good jumper that I'd spent a lot of money on a few years and ago. And the cost of the depillaring? Can't remember, but it was worth it. If you're okay. going to spend good money on knitwear, you may as well look after it. Oh, I agree. But I agree. The, I, I'm going to have next time you see me, Corrie, I will have half the jumpers. Well, and now. you'll have more cupboard space because they're usually so fulsome. They take up a lot of room. It's a nice chunky knit you're wearing today, can I say? Well, this is yes, exactly. This was um, a little European purchase, Corrie. Um, which 2022 fashion trend did you discover years ago? <laughs> the you Ugg, were right. The Ugg boot. I was right. The Ugg boot. <laughs> I've been wearing Ugg boots now since I saw, don't laugh at this, Elle McPherson in a pair of white or cream jeans with a pair of brown Ugg boots probably about six or seven years ago. And at the time, Carol, you will remember my bookshop had a concrete floor and in winter I was getting chillblains because it was so damn cold. Somebody suggested, why don't you wear Ugg boots with a pair of socks? That'll keep you warm. Well, it did. And for the next few years of the bookshop, Ugg boots saved me, much to my children's embarrassment. The other day I had a writing commission to write a fashion story on uh, slippers and how slippers, velvet slippers, have become the new in thing. And I, I mentioned Ugg boots in my story and I started researching Ugg boots and every second Hollywood person during their winter, the Californian winter, they're wearing Ugg boots. Sloan Square, Ugg boots. New York, Ugg boots. Paris, maybe not so much Paris because they're a bit thingo about leisure wear. But I tell you what, I am on trend, Caro, on trend. My three pairs of Ugg boots will get a good wearing this year. 
Caro, May 28 is the birthday of British journalist and the inventor of James Bond, Ian Fleming, who actually my dad met and enjoyed his company back in the 50s. Ian Fleming was born in 1908. What is your favourite Bond movie? Well, first of all, I've never seen a Bond movie I didn't like. I love Bond mm, movies. Agree, me too. Um, I love the music. I love the girls. Yeah. Um, I love Goldfinger. Love. Goldfinger. I, and I love Sean Connery. But Daniel Craig was a great James Bond. And I thought Skyfall was a great film. I really enjoyed it. I know he was a bit of a doer, James Bond. He lacked the humour of, you know, Piers Brosnan or Roger Moore. And I really liked Live and Let Die too. And no, Skyfall would get of my modern Bond movies. And I even thought No Time to Die, even though people bagged it, I quite enjoyed it. Corrie, you have a, an amazing fact. I have a week. few amazing facts. You inspired me with James Bond, so I thought I'd tell you a few things you may or may not know. James Bond... Um, was uh, came to life in 1952, and Ian Fleming, who, as I said, was a journalist and a, and a spy on the side, he sat down at his typewriter after a life as a happy bachelor. He was about to marry his uh, for, for the first time. He was about to marry, and on the eve of his wedding day, he decided to write a story about a man who could live his life forever as a bachelor, a man about town. So he invented... James Bond, this naval intelligence World War II hero, and the first Bond novel was Casino Royale, published in 1953. Also, what you might not know is um, Bond, James Bond was named, Ian Fleming didn't know what to call this hero, and he lifted the cover from one of his birdwatching books at home, and he saw the title of the book, Birds of the West, by James Bond. So James Bond was actually a twitcher in real life, an ornithologist. Um, so that's another interesting thing. Now, James Bond's parents, uh, you can recall there was a bit of um, back and forth about this first introduced when Judy Dench was M. Bond's parents were named Andrew Bond, a Scottish man who owned a weapons company, and Monique Delacroix, a Swiss woman. They both died when Bond was 11 years old as a result of a mountain climbing accident. Yes, that all comes to light in Skyfall. And Bond ended up living with his aunt and studied in Edinburgh before being recruited by the Royal Navy. In the James Bond films, Caro, James Bond has been shot more than 4,000 times. <laughs> Talk about nine lives. Um, yes, although and you might no not, time to die. Mm. Well, don't say that. Now, so many, now, many notable actors said no to Bond. You'll know some of these stories. Um, David Niven said no, Cary Grant, Patrick McGoonan, Christopher Lee, who I thought would have been a great one. Clint Eastwood. Imagine Clunk in the role. Burt Reynolds. Yeah, no, I could see it back in the day. Do you remember Batman on television, Adam West? Yeah. He was offered the gig. Tom Jones. It's not unusual Mm. to be shot by Dr. No. He couldn't act. Liam Neeson, he would have been good. Mel Gibson. Sam Neill. He would have been good. Hugh Grant. (laughs) Gee. And Will Smith. He also said no. So um, now Sean Connery started balding at the age of 21, which meant he had to wear a toupee for the entire time he played James Bond. And my final fact I'm going to leave you with is, according to the novel The Man with the Golden Gun, M's full name is Sir Miles Mesery. So why does uh, so why does Bond's boss is why is he referred to it by a single initial? This is because the then director of the British Secret Service, 
who was a chap, a real-life chap called Sir Mansfield Smith Cunning, he used to initialise all his documents C. So Ian Fleming thought that's a good idea. So he turned his Sir Miles Meservy into M. Wow. And will the next Bond be a woman? Who knows? Thank you to everyone for listening today. Thank you to our podcast supporters, Red Energy, 100% Australian electricity and gas. Thank you, Prince Wine Store. Visit princewinestore.com.au and click on the Don't Shoot the Messenger page for all of Miles's recommendations and discounts. Don't forget to listen to our bonus episode, Dear Caro and Corrie. Oh, we have a beauty today, Caro. And remember, you can connect with us via Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. And if you want to get our show notes delivered to your inbox every week, hit the sign-up button on Facebook or in our show notes or send us an email and we'll subscribe you. Email feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. And Corrie, don't shoot the messenger. This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, Prince Wine Store and the Bendigo Art Gallery, presenting Elvis direct from Graceland, created in partnership with Graceland. This Australian exclusive exhibition explores the life and style of Elvis Presley. On now until July 17, tickets from bendigoartgallery.com.au.